Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Halo podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Musset. Father Peter Musset, you wouldn't know it by looking at him, but he is coming off a root canal. So you are hopped up on pain meds, coming yeah. down off the pain, dude. It's true. Sucking on a on a gummy. <laughs> Right, right well, you, dude. You, you know what's tough is when you have gummy worms, you can't chew them. You just have to let them dissolve in your mouth. Oh, sick! Sucking on a gummy worm outside the taste of freeze. But, <laughs> but that's how dedicated we are to sour bread crawlers. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say to the podcast, but yes, we are. We're dedicated all around. We are, man. And we are dedicated guys. I just tell you though, man. I um, I um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something and I couldn't come up with anything. Uh, I don't know if I pointed out to you guys, but Father Peter's on pain medication. <laughs> so we're going to see where this podcast goes today. You know what's funny is that um, whenever, <laughs> I some funny things. whenever I tell anybody, I'm like, okay, so this is what I know. <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is a direct indicator that I'm about to make something up that I had not previously <laughs> thought of. That whatever is the, that true? Uh-huh. The very first thing that comes <laughs> out of my mouth after I say, this is what I know. You're kidding. I always take that. To mean you're gonna say something profound. Well, I you I want to say something profound there, and that's what I. But I'm just like kind of like generating the 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 um the 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 profoundness from profundity, the core. profundity. That's Josh. Josh Santo just poked his head around. Hi, Josh Santo. Here's a shout out to Josh Santo, uh, who never who listens I to the can't podcast. Imagine listening to the podcast. Yeah, never. But maybe some of you listening might know Josh Santo. Yeah, and if you know him, then force him to listen to the podcast, which you know how easy that is to do. That kind of sounds terrible to have to sit and be forced. Do you think any priests out there give this podcast as penance? <laughs> you have to listen to the word on the hill. Dude, I think I may have given it once. Oh, that's come on, man. <laughs> Way to blow our... I'm just kidding. I've never given oh, it whatever. as, yes, as, you as have. Now you just felt bad about it. All right, it is the fifth Sunday of Easter. And uh, we still have a few weeks of... You know what's great about Easter? Tell me what's great about Everything, Easter. Everything, because it lasts 50 days as opposed to the 40 days of Lent. So we always need to trump the celebratoriness with the uh, penitentialness. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's a technical term. Dude, Which, I, will, I love the fact that um, this year, out of all of my years, I've realized that Lent is a preparation for Easter. <laughs> that Lent is not an aim in and of itself. What did itself. you think it was? Isn't well, no. That how it's defined? Yeah, I know. Sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have laughed at that. You're, sure, you're making a profound me, point, punk. but it, that is what it, it's called. A prep. Sorry. Preparatory season. Ta- talk to me more. Yeah. Tell me more about this. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Um, Why does he have a car? Um. So this is the thing. It's, it's the preparation for Easter. This yes. is what I know. Okay. <laughs> 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 is that uh, is know? is it really? Yeah, Lent is not for itself. It points to another, just kind of like um, what's happening in all of our readings today. Y- yeah, oh, absolutely right. So I was uh, thinking about it this morning in our readings. So you know when you try to you find something that's kind of negative and you try to find a silver lining. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at all of our readings and I'm trying to find the dark cloud. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I don't know if I'm trying, but that's what I'm seeing in all the readings this, is all the darkness that sur- which. I don't mean that like in an overly pessimistic way, but I mean, your point deeper in your point is that you, you really can't have Easter without Lent. You can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. No, these things are inseparable. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And on Sunday, we can't forget that Friday happened either on the flip side. You know what I mean? Right. We can't. Uh, yeah. And that's what I'm seeing in these readings. So the the first reading, 
I'm, I'm almost seeing a flip side to it. So on the first reading, it's, it's uh, antic- Acts uh, it's an- 14 to 21, 27. So we're just going to read the readings now. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right. No, no. We'll I was get, just, no, we'll I was just joking. Come on. Come on. I thought I was, I was being funny. I was just going to say in the first reading, it appears that it's really good stuff with a, a dark cloud hanging over it. And in the latter readings, it's the really good stuff. It's it's other really good stuff having come through the really bad stuff. Mm. So in the first reading, good stuff with bad stuff coming. In the latter readings, good stuff having come through bad stuff. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like this last week with the snowpocalypse. It's like okay. you know, it's like you can enjoy the the eighty degree today, but a day that's outside today today and um. <laughs> <laughs> Do not okay. make fun of me. No, I'm not. Uh, just, I didn't say just anything. Just laugh at me. I didn't say anything. But you know that something bad is coming. And then and then like today we're looking outside in the sunshine and you're like, oh, having come through the snow, we're living uh, it. I love the snow though. And I wanted the four feet that they got in the mountains. But you were looking at me as though you did not. I didn't. Be- because you own a I a Jeep that's like eight feet tall. But I treasure the flora and the fauna. Oh my gosh, they made it. The flora and the fauna are fine. <laughs> All right, our first reading, as you pointed out, is coming from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, verses 21 through 27. Our responsorial psalm, luckily, <laughs> by the grace of God and by the holy hierarchy of the church, is Psalm 145. Which is acrostic. Sorry, we'll get to that in a minute. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, and then it's uh, verses eight through thirteen is uh, separated by um, verse one, <laughs> separated by hyphens. All right, our second reading is coming from the book of Revelation. Jumping to the end of Revelation this time. Oh, man, I love that book of Revelation. Man, it's got some freaky stuff though, dude. I'm doing, oh yeah, it's freaky. I'm doing a Bible study right now in Revelation. You are? Yeah. Did you just eat another? Where did you get that gummy? Where did that gummy worm just come from? Did you pull it out of your mouth? Haven't you been sucking on it this whole podcast? No, no, man. You threw you a me too at once. Remember, I did had to separate I really? them. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I, your dentist, if he's listening, he's going to be mad at me for giving you gummy worms. You just had a root canal. I know that this can't is... be good. This is why you're having root canals. No, for Pete's sake. I know there's going to be a lot of podcast listeners who are like, "Yes, father," <laughs> and they're going <laughs> to. Yeah, you're going to get parishioners on Sunday. I rinse my mouth and I brush my teeth. Okay. Fair enough. Our reading, our second reading is coming from Revelation chapter 21, the very end of the book, verses 1 through 5a. <laughs> I, always think to, I always think that the that when they cut a verse apart and then they give you an A or a B or a C. Do they have a D? I've never seen a D. You have to really split some, the verse you have, quite a few chunks to get a mm-hmm. D. Yep. Okay, and then we get into our gospel, the good news, the presentation of the our lord's life john chapter 1331 to 33a jumping to 3435 so we really just took wow. half a verse out there yeah and i i kind of get why we did it well, we can talk about that when we get to the gospel well wonderful thank you all for tuning in today and we're now going to jump right directly into the readings oh okay i think we're gonna make the joke you see, I, I did the joke with the tone, but not with the words, because 60% of language is not in what we say, but in how we hold our bodies. <laughs> Here's what I know. Here's what I know. All right. There's oh, what I know. Oh, man. Okay, Acts of the Apostles. So, okay, there, there's, oh, what do we say about Acts of the Apostles? Acts of the Apostles is, it's sharp. It's sharper than two-edged sword. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it Peter. pierces bone and Come marrow. Come on. 
come on, that was a good version. I use scripture to make the Acts of the okay, Apostles right. joke. Fair enough. I keep yeah, it's better than the uh than the uh deodorant joke you usually make. Acts. <laughs> Acts. Is uh, it deodorant they make or yeah. is it like body spray? It both. I don't think men should use body spray. Do you uh, use body spray? Never. Okay. Sorry, I'm gonna get angry emails. <laughs> <laughs> this is neither here nor there. All right. Anyway. Uh yeah, Acts of the Apostles. This is the first this is the first missionary journey of Paul. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just in case you guys were wondering cuz there's three main missionary journeys of Paul and I just want to contextualize. Why are you not contextualizing? This is your job. I will. Um why am I doing your job for you today? Cuz you're not letting me. Oh, okay. All right, to contextualize this. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you keep in mind what we've had actually the I I like that uh the church is really bringing us through a narrative in the Easter season. So mm. it's sort of wanting us to follow along each week and see how the story builds on itself. So we really can't take this reading apart from the reading last Sunday, the reading the Sunday before that, and the reading the Sunday before that, because it is one narrative. So what, what we're getting this time, so if you remember the last few weeks, a lot of what the stories have been are Paul and others going to these cities, establishing churches, preaching in synagogues, some people accepting the message, some people condemning the message, you know, their lives being threatened at time, you know, all sorts of stuff. But they're going about trying to evangelize, and they're having some success, they're having some uh, opposition, right? This is the story. At the tail end of sort of that kind of micro-narrative, we read this. So after Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed the good news to that city, and I think they're in Lystra, or Derby right now. They're in Derby. Derby. The, the, there's a there's some people from Kentucky there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. I, I have nothing to add to that. I, I was trying to I was gonna try to make a Derby joke. The Brown Derby. When I was little, when I was a really little kid, there was a restaurant called the Brown Derby. Oh, that I remember my granddad always wanted to go to. Dude, I don't I, remember anything about it. I really like so the. You der- guys want to go to Brown Derby? Oh, We're like yay! The Derby hat was uh, actually as an English hat created for a prince who actually wanted something akin to a helmet. You're a prince. So they helmet. so they took it and then they would like they did a bunch of extra layers for the Derby hat so that the, he could get hit on the head and still maintain. The Derby looks nothing like a helmet. They did a terrible job. No, I mean it's like a helmet like it's not in the helmet of itself, but that's Do you know why what the a helmet is. I'm just saying, I don't think it's going to protect you from anything. No, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, it's for thugs from the 18th century. Come okay. on, dog. Wait, it was more dangerous then. It, dude, they have billy clubs I mean, and if stuff. If it's like a wooden derby, then maybe. All right, here's what I know. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they proclaimed the good news to Derby. Uh, they made a considerable amount of disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium to Antioch. They strengthened the spirit of the disciples. They exhorted them to persevere in the faith, saying it's necessary to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They've demonstrated that with their lives in the last few readings, right? They've mm-hmm. gone. They have taken on the heart. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Peter actually said, praise be to God for allowing us to suffer these hardships for the sake of his kingdom. This is beautiful. So they're preaching what they're, they're practicing what they preach. Um, it's kind of funny. They're coming back. So they've made this missionary journey, like you said. Now they're heading back to Antioch, where Paul's sort of headquarters is. But but, not, really, but in a really roundabout way. I mean, if they if they actually went from Derby to Antioch, they could have gotten there way faster, but they went through Lystria and well, Pisidian. But and, why? 
Attila and Perga because they had just come that way. Yeah, they're going back through the cities that they came through the first time, which if you've been paying attention, these are the cities that wanted to throw them out, sometimes kill them, stone them, hated them. So it's a pretty gutsy move that they're actually coming back through the cities. But wait, the sense you get is that it's like this official ecclesial visit. We are going to proclaim to them that this worked. You guys were sort of the... I don't want to say guinea pigs, but, you know, we, we were kind of bringing the gospel through. Well, guess what? It worked. And now this whole region knows the gospels. And now throughout the whole region, there are churches, thanks to you and your faithfulness. And, you know, I mean, this is kind of a beautiful moment and also a lot of, a lot of courage that's coming through it. Yeah. And then it said, as they're, as they're going through, they appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting commended them to the Lord in whom they put their faith. Um, in the Greek, it actually talks about the, the verb that's used here has to do with extending out or laying on hands. So when it says they appointed elders, they're literally ordaining priests. So Paul's going through. Now, now here's one of the things Paul says later on in his letters. Paul says one of his problems is that his whole mission is he goes out, he establishes churches in these places, he finds, you know, he spreads the gospels, he preaches the good news, he tries to find people who are faithful leaders who can carry this on after he leaves, and then he goes away and he just prays and hopes that it doesn't get messed up, you right. know, which is usually the cause of why he's writing most of his letters, is that something did get messed up, or mm. somebody was misleading somebody, or as soon as he left, you know, sheeps came, or wolves came into the sheep and started misleading them or mm. lying to them and all these yeah. things. So here we have sort of the context for Paul's letters, which is, I went through, I preached the gospel, I established churches, I left behind people who I thought were faithful, and then I just prayed that things didn't get messed up, which mm. they usually do. Right. But this is this is a pretty fundamental moment, and this is literally Paul ordaining priests and bishops to serve in these churches. Mm. By the way, side note, um, and we see this later on. Well, actually, we saw it earlier when Paul was in Ephesus. Or maybe, no, it's later on, I think. But in the very early church, there's actually no distinction between priests and bishops, right? So the word for priest, we get it from the word presbuteroi, right, in Greek. The word for uh, bishop is episkopos, epi and scopa. So you guys know where the word scope to see, right? Epi means over. So... Every And actually, at one point when he's giving his speech, leaving um, Ephesus, and he says, you know, I have to go now and I'm leaving you guys. He says he gathered together the, the priests and the bishops, and he actually calls the priests bishops and the bishops priests. And the idea in the early church was that you would go and you would establish these leaders to priests who would oversee episcopos, a church, a congregation, right? But then as the church began to grow and there began to be more house churches and more neighborhoods and more followers and more believers, you'd have to pick one of those priests to oversee episcopos a number of different churches, right? So then one bishop would oversee a bunch of other churches. And so this is, this is the, the hierarchy of the church being established. I mean, the reason I pause on that is because this is the moment you begin to see, oh, it's the Catholic church as we know it beginning to slowly take shape. And it's really beautiful. And so Paul's establishing the church. He's ordaining people. It's great. There's communities being built up, and they go through Pisidia and Pamphylia, down to Attilia and Antioch and all these things. At the end, it says um, uh, they had accomplished this work, right? And when they had arrived, they called the church together, and they reported what God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And we get this great closing of this passage of, we suffered a lot. We endured a lot, but now everything is super. Everything is great. We have churches. We have followers. We have priests. The end, right? 
But if you know the context, literally the next verse, chapter 15, verse 1, a bunch of people start showing up and saying, this is not good. This is wrong. You have misled people. You've lied. These people are not Christians. Right. And this is the debate. So the idea of accepting Gentiles, non-Jewish people, into the church is going to be this fight. Because people will come down from Jerusalem in chapter 15, and verse it, 1. And, and it wasn't a gentle fight. Uh, uh. Here's what I know. It wasn't gentle. <laughs> <laughs> but basically they say, no, wait a second. We're fine if these Gentiles want to come into the church, but they have to be circumcised. They have to keep the kosher food laws. They have to keep the laws. You can't just have some different criteria for them. And that's going to cause this huge fight that will escalate into the church's first ecumenical council. Jerusalem. The, yeah, in chapter 15, we have the Council of Jerusalem, which, you know, if you've ever studied or looked into church councils, you know, these big gatherings of all the bishops and the leaders— they seem like these nice, pleasant affairs. If you read Acts 15 really closely, mm-hmm. even the apostles themselves are ticked off at one another. They're yelling at each other. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there were fights there because these are not small topics that are being discussed. And no, it's it's all fundamental. That's actually exactly why, the, like, why you have to bring everybody together. And you know how it's like the more people you bring together to, the more complex it gets. It's like everybody wants a piece of it. Like the best ideas in the world, the best realities in the world – the the better they are, the more everybody wants to be heard yep. and understood, and then and have influence. And so, yep. Yep. dude, and and this is like a bunch of Semitic folks getting yes. together, and like that's a, they don't we're kind of Dutch in our <laughs> or like we're kind of gentle. So we're both gonna pay our own ways. Why do I even try? Yeah. Why no, do it, you even try? I mean, that was terrible. It's true. And the, the logic, though, that pe- I, I, lo- I mean. That was gosh, a joke. I love you. you yeah, that was a good joke. I know, I know, I know. But if you get a chance, you should read Acts 15 because it's, um, and I don't know, maybe it shows up next week. I'm not, I haven't looked ahead in the readings yet. But the story of how the, this council goes down, Peter, of course, who's the pope, he stands up and his his criteria Acts, for- Acts 15 is- Is that is, next week? Is, yeah, we start up at 15-1 next oh. week. Well, all I'll say for now is this criteria is simply Peter saying, look- it doesn't matter whether we want these people in the church or not. This is what God has done. The job of the church is to conform herself to the will of God, period. Mm. I don't care if you like the Gentiles or not. I don't care if you want them to do these things or not. God has shown us this. We have no choice but to conform ourselves. And that's always the job of the church is to figure out what is the will of God in the world in particular circumstances and to conform the church to God's will. This is the job of the Pope. This is the job of the hierarchy. It's your job, too. This is my job, too. This is why there is a church, though. Um, You know, the two things I know about church councils. So, again, I don't know if you guys have studied church councils. And, you know, there's been a lot of them. The most recent, of course, being Vatican II. But here's the two things I know about church councils. Number one, they usually come about, they always come about, I think, because of a crisis in the church. Mm, it's yes. not just, hey, we should get together and talk about things. Well, well, this is the thing. That's what makes Vatican Council II so strange. Well, it was, it was a prophetic crisis that was coming, but not one that was necessarily present. Well, let me clarify that, though, because I, 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 it, they're always, I think it's safe to say, they're always coming together because of a crisis. Usually, they come together because someone is teaching something false about the faith and it needs to be corrected. Mm. Now, that wasn't the case with Vatican II, but I think it is still safe to say there is a crisis. The church needs to figure out how to approach modernity and to evangelize her and all these things, right? So Mm. there's still a crisis, but in a different sense of sort of history. Right. So there's always a crisis. And then the second thing I know about church councils, if you ever study them, 
after every single church council, there is roughly 100 years of total confusion. I thought it was 50. Well, it depends, give or take, you know. I remember um, being at an ordination in Helena, Montana, having a cup of coffee on the 40th day of uh, the 40th, the day 40 years after the close of Vatican Council II. Really? Yeah, and we all recited that one psalm. No. I used to live in Helena. Oh, yeah. I mean, you went to Helena handbaskets, actually. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever move back to Helena, I'm going to start a store that's just called Helena Handbaskets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're going to sell hand baskets. Dude, and you're going to have flaming hot Cheetos in every single one of them. I was just going to say that. Um, but yeah, the, but, like that's the that's what I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, so 50 to 100. But well, and why? I mean, you you said it before, sort of, you know, why is there total confusion? It's because when the church has a council, this is what we're seeing with Pope Francis, right? It's not until the church produces a document about something that now we have something to fight over. Right. You know, up until that, it's just, okay, the church is just being the church, but now there's a new document. Right. And now we can fight with each other about how to interpret it and how to apply it and how to do these things. And we can have lots of fights and arguments. That's how the church works. Well, this is how everything works. Like, identity is always tied up in the fight that you're fighting. Literally. Yes. Like, that's why you're always going to say, who is my enemy? That is a natural inbuilt, inbuilt part of our humanity. Is it, oh, it's those polluters. It's climate change. It's all of human. It's humanity in and of itself. It's going to be, it's going to, uh, you can throw, people will throw race in. They're going to throw yeah. gender in. They're going to do all sorts of economic things in. I mean, like everybody's trying to fight somebody about something. But it's always those guys over there. Right. right. And whereas in the church, it's us. We're the problem. We're the problem. Yeah, which is, that's how Jesus ends up on the cross, because everybody wants him to march into town and be like, they're the enemy, let's get them. And he says, no, we're the enemy, let's root it out. We don't want to hear that. Right. But, and that's a good reminder. So this first reading is a good reminder, because things are going really well. And I have one of those personalities that whenever things are going well, well, I always distrust it. Yes. I always assume things are going a little too well, something's going to go wrong. Right, exactly. And on some level, that's unhealthy. But on another level, there's just sort of a realism to that. Well, there's a, I mean, that's Ignatian spirituality. Mm, Whenever you're in consolation, know that desolation's coming. Whenever you're in desolation, (laughs) know that consolation's coming. Yeah. It's always like, no, be real. Like, good and bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. Which, I know you're making a joke there, but ironically, well, not ironically. No, no, I'm I'm just quoting it in an authentic way. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. But that actually is a great segue into Psalm 145, which... So the the response we get is from verse 1. I will praise your name forever, my God and my King. I mentioned off the cuff before that this is what we call an acrostic psalm, which means... If you get it on your skin, wash immediately. (laughs) If you get it in your eyes, call a doctor immediately. Yeah. I don't know why that struck me as so funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's a stupid joke. Oh, man. And I do it every every single time. Do you? I've never heard it before. Oh, yeah. Maybe not in your other podcast. In my other podcast. You must mention it. In my parallel dimensionality. Oh, my gosh. Um, Your Bizarro World podcast. So an acrostic psalm or acrostic poem or piece of writing simply means that each line of a particular piece of writing... Um, follows a a subsequent letter of the alphabet, right? So line A would start with the letter A, line B starts with B, line 3 starts with C, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I left to... uh, Alphabet, gimel, het, ein... And what that means, the, the, the pedagogy behind writing a psalm that way, and even that first verse, I will praise your name forever, my God and my King, the fact that every line begins with a different ver- uh, different letter from the Hebrew alphabet 
implies that God, we need to praise his name forever in all circumstances from A to Z, from Aleph to Bet, right? Um, or to, uh, what's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet? Aleph to... Uh, Omega. <laughs> yeah, sure. Alpha to Omega mm. in the Greek, right? Yeah. But, but the idea, all of it. So what you said Zet. is... Zet? No. Just keep going. And my mind is blank. But you, what you said before is perfect, though, because, again, Ignatian spirituality, whenever there's consolation, expect desolation. Whenever there's desolation, expect consolation. And praise God in the midst of all of it. Every aspect of life from A to, to Z because God's hand is at work in all of it. So just as Paul needs to remember God's hand is at work in bringing all these Gentiles into the family and beginning these churches, his hand's going to be at work in the big fight that's going to erupt in the next chapter as well. Right. And that's okay so that when you're in those good moments and you know the bad stuff is coming— you don't have to freak out like I'm always prone to do. You can say, that's okay. God's still in control of it. You right. know. And when you're in those terrible moments, you can say, that's all right, because I know his consolation is going to come eventually. And if it doesn't, so be it. I know he's still here, which is a great... So that's, I think, what the psalm is, is doing there, which is a, a great service that the psalm actually serves us. To do. Yeah, I think that all of you should write poems about how <laughs> God is acrostic and he's participating in every aspect of your life. God is like an apple. God buzzes like a bee. God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, oh what's wrong with me? All right. That takes us to Revelation. and actually does take us to Revelation, believe it or not. I'm, you know. Y'all ready for this? Okay. Here's the thing. Revelation. So we've fast forwarded all the way to the end of Revelation now. Okay. We've been in the beginning. Um, they were the very end. So chapter chapter 21, which is where John is now talking about a new heavens and a new earth. There's there's really three major scenes. Isn't this your like, favorite ever? This is my favorite stuff, man. So there's three big scenes at the end of Revelation, right? Okay. Uh, to, to, to wrap. So John has seen many strange things in these visions. Okay. Um, they are given in large part. So he's writing this as a, as a, as a pastoral letter, an encyclical. He's writing on this vision to be given to all the churches that he oversees, right? Back in uh, Ephesus and then in, in Asia Minor, then these surrounding churches, who are suffering great trauma. They're being persecuted. They're suffering. And I think at, at its heart, what Revelation is trying to do is say that despite all the things that you're suffering, despite what the world looks like, here's actually what's happening if you pull back the veil. There's a much greater reality behind all of this that God is fighting a battle on your behalf, right? Mm, yes. Here's what you see when you look at these events from earth, and here's what's happening on a spiritual heavenly level. It's bigger than you, right? Mm. Um, and there's lots more we could say about that, but in the end, to kind of tie everything together, he gives these three images. One is a marriage supper. So what's it, what's going to happen in the end? What's the, all this going to be? And he says, well, it's going to be like a marriage supper. Then in chapter 21, he talks about the new heaven and a new earth. And then at the very end of the book, he talks about the bride of the lamb when she is finally unveiled. And we see our marriage to God as, as what it is, right? Which are all really three analogies of the same reality, which is the new heavens and the earth, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's God's kingdom. So basically, I like to think of it as the end of Revelation, this new heavens and this new earth that he sees descending, it, we see what it's going to be like when the words of the Our Father prayer are fulfilled. Mm. This prayer that we pray all the time, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We pray that all the time, but what does it look like? So the end of Revelation is all about what will happen when God finally answers that prayer once and for all. Mm. And we see into it, which is, I think, a beautiful way of envisioning all of this, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So what he sees, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first time in the Bible that someone sees a heaven and an earth or sees heaven and earth or we see heaven and earth, it's way back in the beginning of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first time that word structure appears. So when we see John seeing a new heavens and a new earth, what he's seeing, I mean, if you if you take it down to its logical end, what he's just seeing is a new creation. God is creating again. He's making anew what we see all around us, right? Which is uh, always like we have to remember how the cosmos, like uh, the temple curtain being torn is a great indicator of what heavens and earth are. Like like it's an earth shattering event as you yeah. would like, often say. And so a new heavens and a new earth, we're witnessing a new creation. It doesn't necessary, it not, doesn't necessitate like, okay, you know, uh, we've been hanging out with Carl Sagan. We did the math. We figured out that there's another planet that's going to be like, uh, able to sustain uh, human life uh, like 900 million light years away, and then right. we're gonna have to get a nuclear power ship, and we're gonna have to <laughs> go sail over there, and right. and Carl will meet us there. Carl, Sagan. Oh, not yeah, Keating. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things we're, <laughs> we're seeing in Revelation, Carl Barth. I mean, he, he it, could be there too. Yeah, that's true. They all, hopefully, Carl Castle from NPR. Um, but what John is seeing in Revelation is not, it, it's not purely something that will happen in the future, like you said, but it's something that's already begun to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not, yeah, so it's not just a future reality. It's already begun. Why? Well, we already know. I mean, Paul says in his letters, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So if we're seeing a new creation, we're just seeing the fulfillment of what's already started, right? Because right. Jesus has already risen from the dead. So he sees this stuff, the former... Uh, the former heaven and the former earth have passed away. There has been trauma. There has been suffering. But that suffering and that trauma is always for the sake of reconciliation so that God can begin anew and refresh and recreate and resurrect, literally, as he did with his own body. He says the sea was no more. I think that's an interesting line. Why is that important in the book of Revelation? Well, for the Jewish people, it's not just, oh, there's no beach anymore. But remember, for the Jewish people, the sea was always seen as a sign of chaos, Remember those those uh, visions that Daniel got in the book of Daniel where he saw the beasts climbing out of the sea? The sea is always seen as the place of chaos. So what this is saying is mm. not just the oceans and the beach are gone. It's saying chaos is no more. The oh. world as we know it, the chaos, the trauma, all this oh. stuff, that's what's no more. And then he saw the holy city, you know. I, I think they've been watching The Deadliest Catch. <laughs> Didn't somebody die in that show? I'm sure they probably somebody did. Somebody important. I don't really watch that. Anyway, um, but but yeah, we read on. I saw Caesar I saw no Holy, more, and then the Holy City Jerusalem. Holy City Jerusalem. Now, here's what's important about this. Um, if you've noticed, throughout the whole Bible, rarely do you see imagery of. Uh, see, this is where modern Christianity has actually got it wrong. Oh, at least in the way we think about it. We always envision the end or the end of our lives. We always ta- think about this time when we will float off somewhere else, right? But that's not the biblical vision. The biblical vision is never, almost never, us floating off someplace. It's always heaven coming down. 
Ah. Christ comes down to meet us. The, the meaning of the word parousia, the second coming, he's coming back here. The heavenly Jerusalem, we're not going up to it. It's coming down. It's descending. Blue even in the mass. heaven is a place on earth. But even in the mass, what do we say? We say heaven comes down to meet us. That's always the movement, which tells you something about Christianity, which is that Christianity is not escapism. We're not just waiting to get out of here. We're waiting for Christ to come down and set things right to rebuild us, to renew mm, us, to resurrect us, yeah. to make things, to take away the chaos, to make it right, to do what he did in his very body. He actually showed us how he's going to do it. He gave us the prototype, right? Which is really profound. And yeah. then because of that, he sees God's, behold, I heard a loud voice saying, behold, God's <laughs> dwelling, literally his tabernacling is with the human race. He has come down to dwell with his people, and he will be our God. He'll wipe away the tears. There'll be more, no more death or mourning or wailing, for the old have passed away. And the, the, the one who sat on the throne said, I make all things new. Yeah. That only makes sense if you're the kind of people that are living in the midst of suffering, right. who know what suffering it is. Otherwise, none of this means anything. But if you know what it is to suffer, if you right. know what it is to carry the baggage and the weight of chaos and sin and hurt— and confusion, then you understand what kind of a vision this actually is. Mm. That, yeah, all those prayers that you're praying, God will answer them. Even if it doesn't feel like he's going to answer them, he will. And there will come a day when this all makes sense again, which is a very beautiful vision. So, you know, the chaos and the turmoil that the church is dealing with in Acts of the Apostles, we know the end of the story. Just like the turmoil and the chaos that Jesus experienced in his own body, we know the end of the story. And if it happened to him, it's going to happen to us. And that's the confidence that we can move in. Which, again, I think that's actually a decent segue into John. It really is. Dude, you're on fire over there, man. Ah, it's these uh, flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to uh, keep from being too woozy. I know. You're, you're I'm listening. I'm t- eyes up. No, I know no, you are. I, I know you are. I I'm see I'm with it. you, man. But you got the, you got the pain. See, all the, the, the tears are going to be wiped from your eyes of your root canal. Dude, someday. thank you. Thank you, Lord. This thank has got to be painful to do a podcast fresh out of a root canal. It, uh, you, you, a little bit. <laughs> Actually, right. I really shouldn't have had that that second sour bread crawler. Is really the truth of it. Well, I was, uh, I, I, I enabled you. You're an enabler. I am kind of. I feel terrible. Okay. Um, okay. John. So John, which is again another shorty of a passage. You know, when I was looking at these, these even just line by line, like he even writes his own verses in a, a chiastic way. I mean, like. He's giving you all sorts of repetition so that you can really experience what he's saying. Yeah. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Like, it's like, whoop, whoop. Like, no, it's, it's really true. musical even in its structure. Why? Memorization. You know? Yeah, because he wants this to stick with you. He wa- Yeah, which is, it's, it's beautiful. And I'm sure because you saw that, there's something about reading scripture aloud. It actually is written in such a way that it makes you want to memorize it. Or it's just it's just built into our memory that we do that. Tom Smith used to uh, do readings. He'd memorize the whole passage, and then he would get up and he would do reading at, at church, and then he, and he wouldn't look at the book the whole time. That's risky. <laughs> I know, and, and and he realized that he needed to re- look at the book even if he didn't look at the thing just once or twice because oh. it was unnerving. Because when you heard somebody read it, you're like. It, it was it was so fresh and alive through memorization and and the way Tom is anyway, yeah. that it was so powerful. But then he realized that for the sake of others, he would look at the book a couple of times just so that they would wow. feel confident. 
Wow. That he was actually reading something. <laughs> Not just making it up. Yep. And I saw the... And I saw the uh, two clouds in the heavens. <laughs> um, the context of this passage from John is in the Last Supper. Again, talk about being smack in the middle. I mean, Jesus has just been doing his public ministry. He has uh, just predicted that Judas is going to betray him. Judas leaves the room, it says. Mm. And then he goes into this part about glory, knowing precisely where he's headed to the cross the next day. Mm. So, I mean, you're smack in the middle of it. So, in the middle of your one of your best friends betraying you and going to death the next day, you get smack in the middle of this talk about glory, which is really kind of beautiful. And it, talk about a chiasm, right? Um, yeah, all this talk about glory. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. I give you a new commandment to love one another. By the way, I, I just want to read this in the original context. Um, Are you going to read it in Greek for us? Oh, maybe I will. But our passage jumps. You mentioned this at the beginning. We jump from verse 33a to verse 34. So there's something we're missing, which I, I get why, you know, just being read in mass without the space to unpack it. I, I get why you jump over this. But I want to read what's jumped over. So it's verse 33. It says, little children, again, he's speaking to the apostles of the Last Supper. Yet a little while I am with you. And then what we jump over, it says, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm out of here. You're not going to see me. He's giving this warning that basically you're going to be blinded for a while. You're not going to see me. That, I mean, I'd love to add a yet to that. Where I'm going, you cannot come yet. Well, what's the end of the yet? Well, the yet is the reading from Revelation we just got. When, you know, it, it actually says mm. in Acts of the Apostles, well, is it yeah. Acts of the Apostles? When he says, you know, he ascended into heaven, the angel says to the apostles, he's going to come back in the very same way that you saw him depart. We get that in, in Revelation 21. Yes. So what Jesus says in the Last Supper, I mean, we're sitting on that for thousands of years, but you can't come yet. You can come to some degree because we actually can can totally partake of that in the Mass. But we can't see it fully yet. But there's going to come a day when you will. And then he says, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so that uh, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's not entirely a, mu- a new commandment, is it? Agapate aleos leolus. Is there another commandment that's similar to that, though, in the Old Testament? A new commandment, I love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, I mean, is there a commandment about loving one another? I, I was just thinking on this, and I was like, okay, he says it's a brand new commandment. Dude, and, I, I know that there's a commandment from the movie Elf. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, well done. You know, I mean, it's it's a little bit close to this, but not necessarily this. Well, same. here's what's really close. It's it's uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It Dude. actually says, you shall, love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. I am the Lord. That's the old command. Love your so there's a command already to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty important. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new one because that's actually not enough to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you, which is totally gonna blow the old command out of the water. But there's a presumption that you know the old command. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. It, you know, it's not just this. Okay, well, Old Testament, everybody's mean and angry God. And the New Commandment, New Testament's all about love. No, we were always commanded to love. That was yeah. crucial. Great. But now he's upped the ante on that command to love. Well, and, and, and that's why, actually, that's why I tuned into the chiastic structure of even yeah. the sentence. I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, 
so you also should love one another. So it's, it's he, almost clumsy, but yeah, it's, yeah. He brackets it and says, as I have loved you. Yes. And like, that's the essential nature. It's a new commandment saying like, it's a canonic, it's a canonic uh, self-emptying love that says, I'm going to follow after and join myself to Christ. And that's what it means to love one another. Now, the thing about that that I find interesting, though, he says, love one another as I have loved you. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. But yet he uses the past tense. Love one another as I have loved you. Which, hmm. which okay, here's what I'm getting at. Now, I'm not saying okay. we shouldn't love one another to the end. But I'm saying that even before you get to the cross, the cross is the icing on the cake. I mean, the cross is every, it's how we are saved. Right. Christ has already shown us how he wants us to love him prior to that. He's already poured himself out. Through his commandments, but he's already been pouring himself out. He already washed their feet. He's already given himself to them. He's giving himself to them in the Eucharist. He he has, uh, you know... Uh, foregone a home and a comfortable life so that he can go and pour himself into towns who will reject him and give himself to people who will hate him and try to stone him. And he gave himself completely to him. He's already given the example. So the problem, I think, is that we want to read this and say, well, I have to die for someone in order to actually live this out, but I might not be really called to do that or I'm never going to be given the opportunity to do that. The key to understanding what Jesus is saying is that this is attainable for all of us. You don't have to go and be martyred on a cross or be held up at gunpoint and asked, you know, if you believe in God to do this. Every day of your life, we can actually pour ourselves out and give ourselves to one another, as Jesus already did through his years of ministry. The cross is the culmination of all of that. Yes. But we don't have to suffer and die on a cross and be martyred in order to give ourselves to one another. Right. Christ has already, he's made it attainable. It is within our reach. And then he brings it to its total logical conclusion in which he gives himself totally for us. Which, yeah, we, which we're seeing in the Acts of the Apostles and the first missionary journey and, yeah, and exactly. actually going through and that like they're getting, they're getting wrecked and shipwrecked and cast out. And then yet at the same time, it's actually fruitful. It's, it's death and resurrection actually all captured within, but it actually it demands this kind of self-emptying reality. Again, we see it in Revelation implied yeah. because you have um, John celebrating mass, offering himself to the father with along with Christ. And this is actually how we end up having this beautiful vision. And the reason this all works, the reason it works in Acts of the Apostles is because people recognize that they are his disciples because of their love for one another. Mm. That's why the church works. None of them have been martyred yet. They will be, Mm. but they haven't been yet. Mm. The world sees the witness of them giving themselves to one another, and they say, we want this. We tend to kind of put the cart before the horse sometimes. The reason the church exists, the reason the church is founded, the reason it will eventually take over the most pagan empire on earth, the Roman Empire, is simply because of the witness of Christians loving one another and loving the people around them and evangelizing them. That's why it works, and that's why Peter and Paul are able to rejoice in being able to suffer for the sake of that. So that's really good news. So that is what we got for you guys this week. We'll be back next week. Father Peter will hopefully be less uh, in pain. Or and woozy and whoozy. I will be no, dude. I'm gonna be like ready to eat meat, man. <laughs> Not milk. Not milk. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you then, you guys. Take care. God bless you. Bye. Bye. Bye.